This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. At the top of the agenda today, the conservative leadership race. Last week, three high-profile would-be candidates announced they would not run. Yesterday, MP Aaron O'Toole announced he would join Peter McKay and four lesser-known candidates, Marilyn Gladue, Richard Descaries, Derek Sloan, and Rick Peterson, in vying for the job. Now, neither front-runner speaks French, at least not very well, and that has ignited a debate about whether the conservative leader needs to be able to speak our second official language. Also, some people are angry about O'Toole's new campaign slogan, Take Canada Back. Back from where? And he launched that in a video complete with statue of Sir John A. Macdonald on a stretcher purportedly being taken down. So uh, what does that signify? I'd like to hear from you. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Karen Stintz, former city councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Charles Bird, managing principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and Shakir Chambers, senior consultant with Navigator. Hi, everyone. Hello. 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 Okay, so Shakir, you are the conservative. What do you make of Aaron O'Toole's launch? I think it was a pretty good launch. I mean, the video itself was very polished. Um, you mentioned the, the notion of Sir John A. being taken away in a stretcher, but that's that's an actual thing that happened in Canada. I think what Aaron is saying is pretty much uh, we need to get away because certain people dislike certain things of our history or certain people find certain things offensive. It doesn't mean it needs to be cancelled or, or removed from our history. These are actual things that happened in Canada. Sir John A. was a great prime minister. Um, so, I mean, to, to have his statue removed, I understand where Mr. O'Toole is coming from. Okay, well, I guess he was just saying that we have to get away from, what did he call it, uh, virtue signaling by Justin Trudeau, Charles. What do you think of that uh, mode of attack? You know, it it goes to something that I think will really underpin the entire conservative leadership race, which is, you know, with, with the emergence of Peter McKay, he really is the, the, the prohibitive frontrunner and most high profile, most experienced. Um, but I wonder if he is right wing enough for the conservative party and early indications from Aaron O'Toole are that he will try to sort of claim that mantle and when you hear you know his slogan take back control or rather you know uh, take Canada back or whatever it is very reminiscent of the the official slogan of the Brexit campaign which was take back control and these are there is a lot of code words built in like cancel culture um, which 
really signal to you know the the right wing and even the alt right that I'm the guy for you. And I think there's a real danger there in getting out of step with uh, with Canadians as a whole. It's also disappointing to see see the race basically reduced to a very very small number of candidates, and, and where the 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 very the most likely outcome is Peter McKay being coronated. Yeah, I think that um, there's no question that Aaron O'Toole is trying to redefine what it means to be a conservative in Canada and change the channel on the notion that only social conservatives own the conservative conservative brand. And my guess is that doing, or doing his uh, work around the country, you know, I'm thinking about running, what do you think? He's hearing from people that there's a sense that the current government is out of step with their values, their belief system. And... Um, and it was interesting that he even threw in the SNC Lavalin as the the corporate, um, you know, in, in in the pockets of the of the corporate, because uh, that's now been revealed that they were guilty and they've pled guilty and they will be fined. So there's, I, I think that he's trying to. There's, as I say, a lot going on in his video, and I think he's going to. I think he's trying to, to to redefine what it means to be a conservative. Well, yeah, he's he's basically said that hey, Peter McKay will turn the conservatives into a quote. Liberal Party light. Is, is, is that a good way to handle things? So I think, first of all, on the McKay actual launch, I think that the Take Canada Back, we're taking it too literal. I mean, if we're going to sit here and say there is not a segment of Canada that's very upset with the Trudeau Liberals, I think we're all misguided here. They got shut out of, of Western Canada, uh, Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan. I think they got one seat or whatnot. There, there are people who... Aaron O'Toole is fighting for. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate. I'm going to fight for you to ensure your values are represented. As you know, in a leadership race, there is no actual candidate from Western Canada, and he wants to be the representative of Western Canada in Ottawa. And I think that's what he's trying to communicate. I'm going to fight for you to ensure that your values are represented, your issues are prioritized in Ottawa. Uh, Again, what about this uh, tension between McKay, who is perceived anyway as being more liberal? I'm not sure that's actually the case. Uh, and and the notion that McKay will turn the liberals into the mushy middle. Charles? You know, Aaron O'Toole ran in the last federal conservative leadership race, and he got pasted, I think it's fair to say, um, by the front runners. Um, and I think there's, there's a danger in the O'Toole candidacy if, if they do consistently play to sort of this right of center base um, where they are using code words to try to stoke uh, some positive sentiment in that regard. Um, he runs the risk of becoming sort of uh, sort of the emblem the emblem of sort of embittered conservatism. You know, white male fifties, angry, and you know that's not where Canadians are. I mean, Canadians forgave Justin Trudeau an awful lot in 2019 and returned him with a with a with a healthy mandate. And so, you know, the bigger issue, and this is where McKay may pose a greater threat, is the ability of the Conservatives to resolve issues around, you know, social issues around climate change and meaningful action on climate change and getting with it. And the O'Toole message is the opposite, which is, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to play to anger, we're going to play to division, we're going to play to fear. Well, I, I think there's... Um I mean, there's two campaigns going on. We need to make sure we're focused on the right one. The first campaign is winning the leadership. And I don't think Aaron O'Toole wins the conservative leadership by going out and being a soft liberal. And the more he can pin, paint Peter McKay is the same in the same vein as Justin Trudeau, I think it works to his advantage in terms of mobilizing the party. 
And I also do think that Peter McKay, he has this, quote, star power because he had a long career, a great career in government, but he's been out of government for some time. And I think that it's going to show as their campaigns evolve. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it because um, politics has changed and the landscape has changed and social media has changed and the way to connect with voters has changed uh, quite a bit, even since I've left politics. And so uh, I think it will be an interesting campaign to watch. And and I don't know that Peter McKay uh, fully understands the challenge that he's being handed with Aaron O'Toole. And just just to add to that point, I think any party who's going through that's going through a leadership race, you always play more to your base. I mean, it's, it's just a natural thing to do. The the Canadians uh, writ large are not voting for the conservative leader. The conservative membership is voting for the leader. I think after every leadership race, people start to move more to the center because they know they need to bring in a larger coalition of people who are independents or people who might be disaffected with their particular party. So I think what Aaron is doing, I think McKay might do the same thing: is play more to the party, but whoever emerges as a leader will start to grow that party a bit more, which is what the party, a conservative party needs to do to be successful. So let's go back a few weeks. Uh, it seemed that the front runners were saying, hey, hey, no social conservatives here. We have one in the race. He is a former operative, Richard Descari, uh, the only bilingual one, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, But, you know, a lot of the party members are social conservatives. So how does that tension play out? I think ultimately it's not a matter of the party rejecting social conservatives. I mean, there are there are different broad strands of social conservatism. I think what the party is actually realizing is that issues like strongly opposing same-sex marriage, even some issues like reopening the abortion debate, uh, make you an electoral liability. And I, I think McKay came up with a statement today saying, whether I'm the leader or whether I'm a private citizen, I'm going to march in the pride parade. He's showing that he's supportive of same-sex marriage. He's supportive of the LGBTQ community. I think the party itself is moving in that direction. But you can't sit here and say that... Um, the, the social conservatives are an important part of our party, but again, not all of them are people who are just radical right-wingers, right? There are different kind of strands of social conservatism within the conservative party. Okay, well, let's uh, move along to the French question, and that's the question. Uh, does a leader of the conservative party have to speak French? Neither of them really do. As a matter of fact, one of the papers sort of parsed O'Toole's French statement and said, nah, He's not comfortable in French. And the same for Peter McKay. Uh, We saw with Stephen Harper, he did not speak French, but he actually, he did a great job of learning French Mm -hmm. and got lots of high marks for that. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Harper's French is is really, I think, the minimum bar for um, ability to to converse in in French for uh, potential prime ministers. I mean, there are some logistical issues around the inability to speak French that are reminiscent of Preston Manning's inability to participate in the French language debate during the 1993 and 1997 campaigns. Um, and that's that's a huge, huge um, disadvantage when, because you're talking about a huge number of seats in a very distinct part of the country. Um, and the, the other reality is, even though most Canadians are not bilingual, I think there is an expectation that their prime minister, he or she, will be bilingual and that that's an essential part of communicating to all Canadians, not just English Canadians or French Canadians. Okay, and, and here's another aspect to this. Okay, so the Conservatives do not do well in Quebec generally. But their uh, what I would call fairly wacky voting system for leader gives equal weight to all ridings. So if you have a Quebec conservative riding with 20 members, that gets the same weight as one in Calgary with 2,000 members. Uh, Doesn't that mean that not speaking French is going to be a liability? 
Huge. Uh, yeah, so I, I think ultimately it's, it's not a matter... McKay and O'Toole don't speak the best French, but they speak French. They can communicate. In, they, I mean, they gave uh, McKay gave his uh, his launch. Part of it was in French. You can say his French wasn't perfect, which I would agree with, but it doesn't mean he doesn't speak any somebody, French. You have somebody on your team who writes it for you and you read it. Right, I agree. But, so I look at it like this. Ultimately, whoever becomes a leader will have to have a debate in French, right? And they'll have to be able to communicate with the moderator and other candidates in French. I don't think anybody who wins this conservative leadership will think it's okay to go on that stage and not be able to communicate communicate with the audience, the French audience. So there is time to improve your French. There is time to be better. I don't think it's where they're at a zero point, but they can improve, of course. Okay. I'm wondering what our audience thinks about this. Of course, we're in Ontario. Do you think the next conservative leader has to speak French? The numbers to call 416- 3600740 toll free 18667444740 I'm here with our crack strategy panel and we are discussing the latest developments or lack thereof in the conservative leadership race yesterday Aaron O'Toole jumped in. There are four people that uh, most of us have barely heard of, frankly. And the two front runners are Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole. And what do you think? Uh, is this some people said, oh, it's going to be a coronation for Peter O'Toole, do you think? And neither of them really speak French. 416 360 toll free 1 866 740. Now, the other people who were thinking, were considering, and, and I guess there are two other female MPs now thinking of it, it is the race poor because this is what you've got so far? Well, I think there's always that tension between do you have 26 candidates all trying to create a space for a camp, a legitimate platform and campaign and being heard versus too small of a, of, of a race where people aren't even that interested because they don't really care. And there is no question the conservatives knew that they could face this challenge because they had just had a leadership race that was very, very crowded. They had an, an election where they felt that their leader underperformed. They quickly went to a leadership race that, with a high bar of entry. And so it, it really, the, the entire way it was designed, I think, was designed to, to, to minimize the number of people who could actually step forward and run. I think there was a, a, a hope that Rona Ambrose would also be in the race. And with her out of the race, I do think that um, that's a loss for the party. Charles? I mean, you can imagine what the race would have been if, if Rona Ambrose had been in it, as Karen correctly points out, if Jean Charest, uh, former senior conservative minister, former premier of Quebec, had been in it. Um, I mean, conservative, liberal, whatever. And so what was supposed to be, you know, an incredibly exciting federal conservative leadership race to define the future of the party and possibly the future of Canada has become what I think will likely turn into a coronation for Peter McKay. Although I will say um, one of the first press releases that the McKay campaign put out in French was an utter disaster. It was full of typos. <laughs> And and yes. and you know if you're if you're a French if you're a Quebecer or a French speaking Canadian looking at that you're horrified. It's like my God, what is what is the quality control here? And can't they know, hire a translator yeah, like anyone exactly. else? And it's a, it's admittedly early in the campaign, but you know momentum's a funny thing, right? When 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 you've got it, it's because people think you've got it, and little things like that can really uh, throw a campaign off track very quickly. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Simon in Toronto. Oh, hi, Simon. Hi, Libby. Thank you for taking the call. Um, my take on this is this. If you're going to be running for the prime minister's office 
it's not even a question. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a pre-drawn conclusion. You must speak both official languages, especially today with the movement that we're seeing in Alberta, with everything that's going on out west. Uh, Quebecers, and I don't, I don't live in Quebec, I'm in Ontario, I don't speak French, but I'm sorry, if you're going to run for the office, you better speak French. And, you know, one of your guests said, well, yeah, they, they speak French. No, listen, you either speak French or you don't, okay? Everybody knows, uh, you know, when, when, when you're not properly speaking, using the proper words and, and phrases, but you must speak both official languages, especially, especially today. Okay, well, uh, the only thing I disagree with you is that there are levels of fluency in French and in other languages. There's a, a level where maybe you understand or you can read and you can't speak well. So, yeah, there are maybe, levels. Uh, the thing is this. Qu- Quebecers won't buy that. Quebecers don't buy that. Uh, when, when, when our prime minister speaks in Montreal or Quebec City, he speaks fluent French, Quebecois. That's what they want to hear. Oh, well, his, that's try, his first language. Try, He's better in French. I can try speaking French, but you're going to say, wow, your, your French is horrible. And, okay. and that's what Quebecers want. They expect more, and oh. you've got to be fluent, period. Oh, okay, thanks for that, Simon. Let's go to Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? My, I have a different view. I think that we want to hire, or we want the best person is qualified to get around with the rest of the world. Whether he speaks French or not doesn't really matter. We want somebody that that can run a country and get along with everyone. And if he needs to have an interpreter with him to put his message out in any language, because they need them. They need them in French and Spanish and everything. So we've got to pick the best that we can get with the best abilities, whether they speak French or not, because very limited population in this country speaks both languages. I don't speak it. My ex-wife was French from France. Oh. Well, I don't speak it. Okay, but anyway, Bob. That's my view. Okay, okay, thanks. Well, that's interesting. Now, I, I don't think we can compare speaking French to other languages because, hello, this is an officially bilingual country, and I bet there are a lot of people who disagree with that as well. Uh, Charles? What I would have asked Bob is whether he'd be comfortable with a prime minister who only spoke French and didn't speak English. Um, because that, that really is the, the, the nub of the matter. And I, I suspect there's a good number of Canadians who would be very uncomfortable with that scenario with the, the, the thought that their, their prime minister uh, wasn't able to speak English. Well, and it, it's interesting. You know, I remember a lot of people would say, well, Jean Chrétien spoke poor English. He had a bad accent, still does. <laughs> right, in but, both languages. <clears throat> Yeah, okay. That's, Maybe that's the test. I mean, John Crutcher was, was And there's some people that said that he, he put it on in both languages, but but his English actually was perfectly fine. But, I mean, that's a matter of an ear. Some people yeah. have good accents. Some people have bad accents. It's It has to do with your linguistic but, ear. But you can learn French. Yeah. It's harder, Stephen it's harder Harper did. to learn leadership. And if you can get a good leader, a good leader is going to recognize the importance of learning French. Well, I, I sort of disagree with you because it's, again, some people are good at it mm-hmm. and some people are not. 
that's my experience. Some people are just tinier when it comes to language. Some people pick them up really well. I mean, again, we're, we're criticizing the French. So the race just started. I think when we actually see them have to communicate in French, then we can make that, that final judgment. I think there is still a lot of time to see can McKay actually communicate to the French audience in that language? Can O'Toole do the same thing? And then we can kind of critique whether it's, it's, it's valid that they can, uh, whether they need to be improve their French or not. Okay. Right there's now two audiences there, right? There's, there's sort of Anglophones who would, might listen to McKay speak in French and think, yeah, that sounds like French. That sounds pretty good. And then there's the folks in Quebec and like you know, Francophones outside of Quebec who will listen to that and just think, my God, that's Agree, untenable. But I, I mean, like one of our callers said, I, I think being bilingual is not the, the, the major qualification to being the prime minister of this country. I think it's one of the things that you should probably have as a skill set, but there are a lot of other leadership qualities that one should possess in order to be prime minister. Shakir, uh, you appear to be the youngest person here. Hey! <laughs> hey. And uh, I say appear, I don't know that for sure. Uh, but you were talking about Aaron O'Toole's social media game versus Peter McKay. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think a lot of folks are saying that it's going to be a coronation for Mr. McKay. And I think he's in a good position to win this race, but I, I wouldn't underestimate Mr. O'Toole's uh, social media game. I think if you look at the rollout from Mr. McKay after his uh, after his launch and O'Toole's launch, um, O'Toole's social media was way more polished than Mr. McKay's. I would also say, as I said to you guys offline, is that uh, Mr. O'Toole has Jeff Ballingall, who's the founder of Ontario Proud and Canada Proud. You don't have to like their content, but they have a huge following. And to be able to communicate Mr. O'Toole's messaging to that conservative audience, I think will go a long way. If the argument that we've been making over these past few years that social media is where a lot of uh, politics is being communicated and a lot of politics is happening, I think Mr. O'Toole has an advantage in that particular area. And I think it'll show as we move forward in this leadership race. Isn't it the same deal with social media? You just need to hire somebody who is, who's good at doing it? Yeah, but I think that um, to the point that you're making, that there's a whole strategy around when you um, unroll your social media, that it has to be connected to your key messages, what you want to say, so it reinforces um, the message and the momentum that you want to get. I think, um, you know, as I say, certainly uh, social media is not something that I participate in any longer. And I think that, you know, again, even the five years that I've been out of politics, it's changed dramatically. And I think there's, I mean, you could make one blunder and ruin your entire campaign, or you can do it properly throughout. And I think having the, the, the both the base, the support and the right people behind your social media, again, it just plays so many, so much, so instrumental in, in winning a campaign. Now, uh, so, so far we have the two front runners. There is speculation and, and it's actually the speculation they're, they're uh, confirmed. They're considering it are the two high-profile women in the caucus, Michelle Rumpel-Gardner and Candace Bergen, who's the House leader. Uh, Charles, what do you think, if they enter, should they enter, what will it do? Um, I don't believe either has served in cabinet. Um, they are both highly effective opposition members. Um, a bit like Pierre Poilev, um, you know, attack dogs, who don't necessarily... When you, when you think of them, you don't think, well, geez, this is their big idea. This is what they stand for. Um, so that's a bit of an issue right there. Um, but the, the bigger issue, I think, for the conservatives, and this is something we've touched upon in, in previous uh, panels, is what's happening south of the border where you have a president of the United States whose political modus operandi is to really go hard. It's fastball to the head every time. Um, and it's a style of divisiveness and of playing to your base 
And that has got to be really, really tempting to a lot of conservatives, especially the further right along the political spectrum you get, which is we're not talking about opponents, we're talking about enemies, we're talking about a prime minister in Justin Trudeau who's intent on destroying the country and must be stopped at all costs. And and this kind of rhetoric is becoming all too familiar, and I'll be very interested to see how this plays out in the conservative race, whether it really does become, um, sort of, it goes to dark places rhetorically. Karen, do we need women in the race? You know, ideally, yes. Um, pragmatically, I don't think it's going to happen. It's a high financial bar to reach, and the money goes where it's going to go, and I don't think it's going to go to long shots in this case. We've got and Marilyn so. Gladue from Sarnia in the race already. Right. So right. Yeah, there is. She, yeah, a woman. she does not have nearly the profile of those two other no, women. No, very thoughtful, yeah. though. I will say that. She, she's impressed a lot of folks. And again, we're early. I mean, she can make up a name for herself in this mm-hmm. campaign. I, I would just go back to a point. Do we need point. women in the race, Shakir? I think a diversity of views is always appreciated. I think the the more views you have in a leadership, especially a leadership race, when you're talking about policy ideas and how to govern the country and the vision for your party and the country moving forward, the more views you have, the more diverse those views are. I think the more helpful it is for for the uh, the eventual leader. Okay, uh, we're running out of time. I'm going to give each one of you uh, 20 seconds to wrap things up, Charles. Well, I notice we have our our second non-confidence vote in the House tomorrow um, on the uh, U.S.-Canada-Mexico free trade agreement. So that'll be something to uh, to watch going forward. That's, um, you know, it presents some very, very tricky choices for each of the opposition parties because clearly there has to be some accommodation unless we want to find ourselves back in an election by the end of the month. And it's already January 27th now, or January 28th now. So uh, uh, interesting times ahead in the House of Commons. Yeah, I I I, th- I don't think there's anything to watch tomorrow. I think they'll both like they they'll pass. It's fine. I, nobody wants to have an election, <laughs> particularly now. It's in everyone's self-interest to keep the government intact. Um, but I, I do think it's actually I was um, not really enthused about the conservative race. I thought it'd be a bit of a snoozer, but I, I actually think it could be more interesting than I expected. So I, I underestimated I think what this could be for the party. Uh, to Karen's point, I think I'm excited to see if there's any other names put forth. But if not, just a vision that uh, both Mr. McKay, Mr. O'Toole, and all the other candidates have for Canada moving forward. Is it a positive vision? Are you going to present conservative solutions to the, the issues that Canadians are facing? Or is it just going to be, as Karen said, a, a snoozer where McKay is coordinated and we just get into um, McKay as a leader facing off against Mr. Trudeau? All righty. Thank you to Shakir Chambers, Karen Stintz, and Charles Bird, and we'll be back here with the Strategy Panel next week. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.